0: There's no harm in reaching out for support, but there could be harm in not doing that. You might not know the impact that that traumatic experience has had for you until years down the track. You might, you know, look back and wish that you had just talked to someone at the time.
1: And welcome back to Mums Group, a podcast for new and expectant mums navigating the joyful complexities of motherhood from a Christian worldview. My name's Ali Barnes, I'm married to Sean, and we have two gorgeous kiddos, Banjo and Zach. The miracle of birth is just that, it's a miracle. You've heard it said a thousand times, because it is, and as long as everyone makes it out of their okay, we say, well, that's all that matters. And of course, in the big picture, there is truth to that. But research tells us birth experiences matter a great deal when it comes to how things unfold in those first days, weeks and months of a child's life. So what do we do when the birth plan doesn't pan out? In fact, birth ends up being a traumatic event. Well, as women, there can be a natural desire to hide our trauma. We tend to glaze over the emotions, making jokes about our pain or not mentioning it at all. We know someone else has a harder story. Someone else's experience was more sad, more weird, more dangerous, more brave. How can we compare? Obviously there's physical damage, but the emotions that come with a traumatic birth can be just as damaging. Shame, blame, comparison, guilt, anger, fear. They are real and they exist for many. Everyone knows someone who has experienced a traumatic birth. Maybe you're listening now and you have physical or psychological scars from your own experience. Questions swirling around your head, did it have to go that way? Did we make the right choices? Or perhaps you know someone who's currently struggling and you're wondering how to best support them. In today's episode, I'm joined by Kirsty Lawrenson, who had a traumatic pregnancy, birth, and post-labor experience with her second child. I'm so grateful for her sharing her story, the raw pain she experienced, and the real hope she holds on to. Obviously, if you think this conversation may trigger anything for you personally, please just skip over it. And definitely, if I can encourage you, chat to your GP about getting help. I'm not going to say I hope you enjoy this episode, but I'm sure you'll find it insightful.
0: Hi, I'm Kirsty. I'm married to Mark. Yeah, we have two girls. We have Rosie, who's almost four, and Charlotte, who's one and a half. Um, I'm a physio. I work in a major tertiary trauma hospital. Um, (laughs) Work's a a really happy thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, the kind of trauma area is familiar to me. You could say I've worked there for 12 years, and I've worked in pretty much all areas, so what we're talking about today is all just like professional
1: development <laughs> yeah, just so you'd have more empathy
0: you could say that my career had prepared me for this birth No. <laughs> so did you guys always want a family and how many kids yeah did you dream i about? mean i'm that cliche i loved babies since i was you know a tiny child myself and realized that there were kids who were younger than me um, I always knew that I wanted a family and just prayed that God willing one day, you know, I'd get married and could have a family. And I remember before we actually went on our first date, sitting on a couch with Mark and saying like a little bit nervously, like, I think being a mom is actually like the most amazing job in the world. And he was like... Yeah, I think being a dad is, like, the best job in the world. And my heart was like, I want to marry this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I knew that we were both, um, like, maternal, paternal, nurturing kind of people. And I used to say, oh... I really want four kids like the more the merrier yeah. and then I had one and I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I think I didn't really understand how much <laughs> how hard this is when they're actually your own so yes not... yeah just
1: hypothetical yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you when you and Mark started trying
0: Oh gosh, that's a bit of a curveball, alley. How oh. old am I now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's early, I, like- <laughs> I should say. We haven't had coffee. I feel like my brain stopped kind of counting my age once I had Rosie. Fair enough. First child. <laughs> I think I was probably, what, I would have been 20. I would have been 29. Yep. We had her when I was 30. Yep, there you go. Amazing. And
1: uh, just briefly, kind of how was your pregnancy and yeah. labor with Rosie?
0: Um, so I think I had like a pretty stock stand, in the middle of the road pregnancy with her in terms of I had morning sickness. It wasn't too bad. I was really tired. Um, I was working full-time at that time as a physio, so, you know, on my feet a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. We did have this thing called partial placenta previa, which basically just means that instead of my placenta, being on, like, the front or the back or the sides of my uterus, it kind of had attached down the bottom. Okay. And the thing was... If it didn't grow up and out of the way, then I might have to have a caesarean. Mm-hmm. And it was just a bit of a watch, wait and see and have more scans. And actually at the 11th hour, I'm like 36 plus four, I had my one of my final scans to see what was happening. And the scan showed that the placenta had moved out of the way. Oh. And my midwife called me, you know, a few hours later to be like, "Yay, yeah, you can go ahead for vaginal birth in theory. Yeah. And then that night, like one hour later, I went into labor and Rosie was born the next day. So oh. we were actually renovating at the time as well, just to make things fun, oh, doing no. a DIY kitchen. Oh um, no, That was not complete oh. when I went into labor. Okay. Um, we drove to the hospital with like a giant set of drawers in our boot. Like we were literally in the middle of setting <laughs> up you got our capsule? new place. No, not, but we gosh. have a dishwasher. Yeah. I remember like. <laughs> crying in the car with my you know my waters gushing (laughs) because they broke at home and like hysterically laughing crying saying to my parents that we had this you know giant set of drawers in our car and might need help to set them up or like it was yeah it was very surreal but long story short um had like a textbook beautiful vaginal birth like four hour labor very fast um no pain relief By the time I reached that second stage, it was too late for pain relief and Rosie came out. She she needed a bit of breathing support, actually. She was a petite little babe uh-huh. and she spent like a 24 hours in NICU with okay. really bad jaundice. But otherwise, like my body recovered really quickly um, because it was a really lovely birth despite the shock of not being <laughs> ready for it yeah we're like can we
1: stay here for two weeks just yeah, whilst they finish off yeah. our kitchen <laughs>
0: and my big thing was i really wanted a water birth it was just yeah. something one of my best friends um had all four babies as water births yep. and I always loved the idea and it was like you know that was if I had any birth plan it was just I want to try water birth mm. my sister was actually present for the labor that wasn't planned either That's she had cool. come to like paint my toenails oh. in hospital while Mark was at home setting up our place And um, then I went into labor and she just stuck around and she was like the best support for both of us. But I just remember being like, can I get in the bath now? And Kat was like... No, no, you're having a baby. <laughs> By the time
1: we fill this bath, yes, exactly. you'll be holding your baby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because that's so a real
1: thing. When I had Zach, they yes. weren't sure if uh, the bath would be ready because yeah. he was coming fast, yeah. and you have to have it full enough that yes. you can birth them Get under the in. water.
0: Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Then yeah. To think of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So life is peachy,
1: and mm. you decide, let's extend our clan. Yeah. And that was not as straightforward
0: as no so a bit of context I have two siblings both older than me and we're all fairly close in age and we're all really good friends and that kind of shaped our ideas about maybe having kids close together and I say that knowing that it's a luxury to even think that way and you know for a lot of people it's really difficult to even have one child so Mm. yeah we thought okay It was easy first time around to conceive. Let's see if we can have another baby fairly close together in age with Rosie. Um, We fell pregnant pretty quickly. um, And unfortunately, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Um, They call it a missed miscarriage where you don't start to bleed or you don't have any signs that um, that fetus has died. But on one of our early scans, they couldn't really find a heartbeat, but they were very vague about it. And we Mm -hmm. had to wait another week go somewhere else, get another scan. And then they were very clear that that fetus had died. Mm. Um, So I had no signs or symptoms like physically that that was going on. Um, I didn't feel as sick as I did with Rosie. I didn't feel like my hormones were raging, but you also get told, you know, every pregnancy is really different. So you don't really know what to expect. And we chose to try and manage that medically, which basically just means um, you take a pill to allow that that miscarriage to be completed. Um, and this is after the fetus has actually died. Okay. And that didn't really work as expected. And basically I had just started a new kind of part-time role as an anatomy tutor for some university students um, in the evenings. It was like four hours of work on a weeknight and during my first two-hour block with um, my students I actually started having the miscarriage so like it actually makes me a bit kind of like shaky talking about it now it's probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life so yeah if this is too much for anyone now's a good time to tune out but Mm. um yeah basically started bleeding like down my leg onto the floor as I was walking between tables of university students I just met Oh gosh! Um, so that was very confronting, and basically from there, it was just like floodgates opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and my personality is I kind of thrive under pressure. Maybe that's a occupational trait, <laughs> yeah. I would say. But essentially, I was like, I know, I know this is what's meant to happen. Mm-hmm. I know, in the most basic sense of the word, this is like a natural process. Um, and I know that, yeah, it's expected and it will stop. Like the bleeding will stop. So I found myself in a scenario where like, you know, I was obligated to teach this class. I didn't know what to do. Um, I couldn't just like call someone up and be bailed out. Mark was at home with Rosie, like getting her to sleep. He couldn't come get me. Um... All of the rest of my family either had kids of their own or were, you know more than like 40 minutes away at that stage um so somehow I managed to get um the anatomy lab manager to take that class and like ran down to the local woolies got a whole bunch of makeup and pads and whatever else I needed new stockings and kind of got myself together and then taught the next class and oh. then by the end of that I kind of had a second big bleed and was in a lot of pain and ended up spending a night um, in hospital. And then a week later, ended up having a DNC um, because even after that, the miscarriage wasn't complete. So that was really, really confronting. Um, I think the thing that helped at the time, helped me process was as soon as, well, not as soon as we found out, but pretty early on when we found out we were pregnant, we shared with family and some friends and that's just a personal decision for us. I'd always said, I want to share with people so that if we have a miscarriage, we have support. Um, And, you know, that's the way it ended up happening. So it wasn't like we were having to tell people that we were pregnant and had miscarried in the same conversation. That was really helpful. And then also... I had signed a contract. I had to go back and teach that class in the same classroom where that event had happened oh. for the rest of the semester. Gosh. Um, so for better or worse, I think that kind of helped because it took the fear away of being in that situation. You know, it's almost like really hard and fast exposure therapy. Being like, <laughs> I guess I've got to go back in. And I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't know if these – students like understood what was happening or just thought I was having a really weird heavy period or you know I don't know whether like the lecturer needs to tell them or I don't even remember what happened in that scenario but I'm sure it was a blur it was all fine in the end Mm. yeah and then after the DNC obviously we saw a doctor while I was in hospital um, and they said you know wait for a period and then you can go again Mm. and just with my personality I thought look I think we just need to do this, because if we leave it too long, it's going to become a bigger thing for me. Mm. Um, and so we got pregnant again with Charlotte. Oh, that's amazing, yeah um, yeah, I'm really sorry for your loss and thanks i've
1: I've not had a miscarriage, but yeah. having had kids i can I can start to imagine what it must feel like to yeah. lose a baby and in such a traumatic and public
0: way, yeah
1: that would have been really, really hard.
0: Yeah. And it's a funny thing because I know everyone has different experiences of those who have miscarriages and for some it's, like, very clinical mm-hmm. um, and for others, including me, it's, like, you know, very deeply emotional and, um, you know, I'd already kind of bonded with the idea of that baby.
1: Oh, as soon as you see those two blue yeah, lines, exactly. you've planned out what
0: sport they're playing, what instrument they're playing. Yeah, like, of course. exactly. You can um, not get ahead of yourself. Yes, so... Yeah, I kind of learned to respect that not everyone is going to feel the same way about a miscarriage as me. Mm. Um, and like you said at the beginning, it's, you know, I don't know why, but we tend to kind of go, yeah, that was traumatic, but other people have had worse. That was only one miscarriage people have had, you know, 12 or, yeah. you know, people have lost babies. So I don't know why we do that, but there's always a bit of a like, oh, I don't want to seem like a sob story when other people have had it worse. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Let's mm-hmm. just get on with it. It's, yeah, it's a weird thing we do. So you fell pregnant quite quickly
1: with Charlotte. Yeah. Were you excited? Like, did you allow yourself to be excited or were you, were you always feeling kind of anxious that you might lose this baby?
0: Yeah, I was I was anxious okay. for sure. I feel like, um, yeah, pregnancy after loss is was for us a whole different experience um yeah with my miscarriage it, I didn't know what was happening inside of my body right like we can't we they weren't ever we give you don't a reason know. the doctors for no what happened? I okay. mean yeah miscarriages are so common it was just you know luck of the draw but yeah. it was like with Charlotte's pregnancy if one day I felt really nauseous mm-hmm. and the next day I didn't I was like okay, this baby's died. You know, it was, I think that was my way of coping with it just Mm. to kind of like assume the worst until proven otherwise. Whereas with Rosie, it was like, I just didn't think about it that much. If I felt nauseous one day and didn't the next, I was just grateful I wasn't feeling nauseous. So, you know, um, yeah, I think I kind of lost a bit of faith in reading my own body and I've always been someone who has felt pretty in tune with my body and, um, very intuitive as well with how my body feels so it was a really weird scenario to kind of not feel like I could trust my instincts or my intuition because I thought well last time it I didn't know what was going on so yeah there was definitely a lot of anxiety especially in that first trimester Mm. and there was also a bit of like you know now that you're pregnant again we don't really think about the miscarriage so Mm. you know we just count your lucky stars that at least you're at least you're pregnant again that phrase at least often comes up with um you know when people have gone through a lot it's yeah. like the silver lining oh, concept of okay. at least this or at least that and yeah i remember like learning through work that sometimes that idea of saying at least is just not helpful um either. helpful <laughs> you just need to like sit in those feelings yeah. um and not kind of find the ladder to yeah the silver lining yeah. um Once we got through the first trimester though, and all the scans showed like a healthy heartbeat and a thriving baby, there was definitely a load off our shoulders. Okay. But I think the anxiety or, yeah, just kind of like that simmering anticipation, I guess, continued like the whole way through the pregnancy. It was like, I just, just wanted to hold our baby. Just wanted the pregnancy to be done and just to have the baby. Yeah. So...
1: At your 20-week scan, you get diagnosed with placenta previa.
0: Yes. What is that? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know before I yeah first got pregnant. So basically, it's just a word. The previa just refers to a word um, describing where the placenta implants itself or where it um, starts growing from. The way I describe it is kind of like if you imagine a cup and then a sponge in the bottom of a cup, that was like the placenta over the top of my cervix. So normally like your placenta will attach to the front or the back of the side of your uterus um, and it will kind of like hang on a wall or it might be sort of like down the bottom a bit, but it doesn't cover the cervix because, you know, that's That's where the the baby has to come out. Yeah, (laughs) that's the exit. Whereas with um, complete placenta previa or grade four placenta previa, it just like, sits there like in the bottom of a cup um if you get the exit so if yeah. you get
1: diagnosed is there a chance that it might move throughout the rest of your pregnancy or is it no no we're gonna have to navigate this
0: I think like most things medical there's rarely like a complete black and white answer yeah okay sure, <laughs> if yeah. I've learned anything through work it's like you know, there is a possibility that that placenta could grow and move out of the way. And that's why they just keep on scanning and they can't say, nope, you're going to have to have a cesarean. But, I mean, we had been through the pregnancy with Rosie with partial placenta previa. It had moved out of the way. I just had a gut instinct this time. I was like, this placenta is not going anywhere. We are 100% having a cesarean. And, you know, if somehow God, you know, wants it to move and he – Essentially performs a miracle and moves all the way up and out of the way, that's fine. But we just started preparing ourselves mentally for a Caesarean. And I think with Rosie it was really hard kind of like just waiting to see like if any second things were gonna change. Is it gonna be Caesar? Is it gonna be vaginal? And I know that like with any birth you can't plan that anyway, you know literally only find out the second before if you need a caesar or not in a normal birth um whereas with charlotte it was almost a bit of a relief to be like okay it's complete previa it's likely to be a cesarean yes we'll get scanned but the scans are going to be you know either confirming or yeah negating this hypothesis that it's going to be a cesarean Mm. yeah
1: yeah. And uh, yeah, being in limbo land is always really difficult when yes. you can start to have a little bit of control over the situation. Yes. And, you know, totally. there. Yeah, yeah. There is a bit of comfort, even though, you know, it's going to be a tricky road ahead, mm-hmm. being prepared.
0: Yeah. yeah. And because in pregnancy, like you're so, you really don't have control over much. Right. And yeah. I think a miscarriage also taught me that, that it's like, you know, you can choose to try and conceive with your husband. Yeah. And then that's about where it stops, yeah. you know. <laughs> you can choose what to put in your mouth or not like pregnancy safe foods. Yeah. Everything else is really like the miracle of life and yeah, God working in your body. So yeah, it was nice to have that kind of semblance of predictability. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what's your yeah, your dialogue with God during this time? You've gone through a lot already. Yeah. What's What's your feeling in terms of like his purpose through it all? Yeah.
0: Um, I think we both just had our eyes fixed on the end goal, as well as there being a lot of kind of anxiety, not for everyone I'm sure, but for us um, during a pregnancy after loss. There's also a lot of gratitude. I think it really kind of grounded us just in the reality of this being um, – you know, a process out of our control, Mm. because I don't know, I feel like in our society and culture, it very much feels like, you know, pregnancy is something that you do. It's like an active process and really it's pretty passive, you know, (laughs) like you have this alien growing inside of your body and you just, you don't really have any control over it. So I think we just felt really grateful to have this pregnancy that so far was viable. I think we just kept our eyes on the end goal of, you know, meeting our baby and just praying that we would get to that stage. Mm. And also to be fair, I was chatting to Mark about this last night. And I mean, we had like a almost two year old at the time. <laughs> so there's a lot of thinking, but there's also just a lot of doing life and yeah. getting distracted. And that was really helpful just to be like, you know, you can't spend too much time dwelling on things because mm. I've got to run after this toddler. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, part time work and Mm -hmm. she's not in daycare and yeah. So life was busy. So there was enough distraction. Um, but we just tried to stay grateful to God and then just pray for safety. Yeah. Pray for safety for me, pray for peace of mind and just pray for healthy arrival, healthy, safe arrival of our of our baby. So you obviously needed
1: more of a challenge because you get diagnosed with gestational diabetes. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. <laughs> a lot more
1: appointments at the yes, hospital. Yes, you had it too, right? Yeah, my oh, first. Man. so many appointments. Toddler
0: in tow. <laughs> yes. She loved it though. she? she? Oh, she loved, Rosie loves playing doctors still. And so for her, the idea of like going to a dietitian, going to an endocrinologist, going to the midwife, like she was just in heaven being like, look at all these things, mummy. So she played Doppler for a really long time after our midwife (laughs) appointments, like not even just doctors, but like gonna put the top floor on your belly i'm gonna press the button boom 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 there's the baby's heartbeat you know like <laughs> really particular imagine <laughs> so
1: rosie what did you get for your birthday
0: an ultrasound exactly. machine exactly
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've got all this happening mm. so at 32 weeks you decide all right might be time to finish
0: up work yeah yes yeah. <laughs> so because um rosie came 36 and 5 so yeah. i'd taken five weeks of like mat leave slash annual leave from work. And I had like a week at home before she decided to arrive. And so for Charlotte, I was like, okay, if this baby arrives early, because, you know, chances are I carry, babies pretty low, um, you know, I'm pretty active. When I stop, maybe, maybe my body just goes into like, let's get this baby out kind of zone. Um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> my colleagues still joke. They're like, the only way for you to go past like term pregnancy is just to keep working. Like you're not allowed to go on mat leave (laughs) early. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to spend like all this quality time with Rosie at home, you know, fill her emotional bucket before a new sibling arrives. Uh It'll be great. I had lots of annual leave. I decided to take it from 32 and a half weeks. And um, I work Monday, Tuesday. I finished up. I woke up Wednesday morning, my first day on leave. And I had my first bleed. I was aware, but I was pretty optimistic that with placenta previa or complete previa, you can get like hemorrhages usually from like the third trimester onwards. Maybe it's a bit early, I'm a bit rusty on the Mm. the details, but hemorrhages are common. So just, you know, the medical way of describing any amount of blood and there's no way of predicting it. You have to avoid heavy lifting and there's, you know, a few other things you have to avoid to... I was avoiding all of those things. Hadn't had a bleed, was feeling pretty okay about it and thinking, look, if it happens, it'll be later down the track and that'll be fine. Mm. Woke up, (laughs) literally hadn't even like woken Rosie up, went to the toilet, bleed Mm. or spotting in my underwear, called the midwife, you have to come to hospital, get Rosie up, rush back into my workplace Mm. and I was there for five days. And basically for the next five weeks from 30, Two and a half to 37 and a half, i was just in and out of hospital with um, varying amounts of spotting or bleeding and thank god it wasn't heaps but you have to be checked every time because there's nothing to say that if you have a tiny bit of spotting that an hour later you might not have a giant gushing hemorrhage there's just no way of predicting and a tiny bit of spotting could indicate there's you know, abruption of the placenta and the baby's not getting enough oxygen through the blood or that, you know, there's like a collection of blood inside. Like the, basically, you've, all you can go on is the external what you see in your underwear or mm. your pad and the doctors need to suss the rest out with ultrasound. So every time I went in, I didn't know how long I'd be there for. Mm. And generally with placenta previa, they have like a three strikes and you're out policy, oh. which is like three admissions and then they keep you in. Um, on bed rest. Oh, yeah, not so much on bed rest, but just within the walls of the maternity unit so that if you have a hemorrhage, you know, they can press that buzzer and just say to you ASAP okay. um, so that you're not hemorrhaging at home. Yeah, so that happened. That was pretty hard because every time it happened, every time I found spotting or a bleed um it was generally in the morning when i'd wake up so there was, <laughs> i started getting anxious about going to the toilet in the morning there were some mornings where i just like wouldn't go to the toilet and would like go make a coffee or do something else because i was actually too scared in to like aisle. see if there was any blood yeah. um and you know of course i had to call mark up and be like i'm going to hospital
1: again and are you taking rosie each time
0: with yeah you, you have to scramble yeah. and find taking rosie because wow. she was home with me when i wasn't working yeah Towards the end, you know, when I'd had a couple of bleeds, um, obviously every time I went in, the doctors would assess me and monitor and make a plan and give discharge recommendations, you know, what I could do or couldn't do or how safe it was to go home and talk that through with me. Uh, In the maternity unit, they um, rely a lot on like a mother's intuition during pregnancy, which is like the only area of medicine that I've experienced where they – really say like how do you feel about this let's make a decision based on how safe you feel to go home Wow. (laughs) I guess because you know no one knows their body like a pregnant mother in theory so yeah during those admissions essentially I was given a lot of information about placenta previa and you know the prognosis of what to expect and bleeds and at various times I was told you know the risk of sending you home is that you go home and you have a massive hemorrhage And you're alone and you, you know, because of this bleed, essentially you bleed to death and your baby dies as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, to be very frank. Also, you could go home and have no bleeds and be fine and make it through to, you know, term. And because I had gestational diabetes and I was heavily insulin dependent as well, they usually play around with bringing your due date forwards. But because I'd had like an early baby, I'm not a preemie but like an – early baby with Rosie they also didn't really expect me to get to 39 weeks so I didn't have a cesarean date booked in this is through the public system I should say but they were trying to get me to kind of 38 weeks essentially and I was thinking gosh I'm not going to make it to 38 weeks I just do not feel like my body is going to get there like with everything going on I'm you know I wonder whether I'm having these bleeds because my baby's trying to get down low and they can't get through the placenta because I carry fairly low during my pregnancies So I felt really anxious, really overwhelmed. I didn't really know what to do. Like I remember one specific admission, just losing it, being like hysterical with all of the hormones raging through my body, all of this risk being like, I don't want to stay in hospital away from my husband and my, my toddler, but I also don't want to go home and Potentially bleed to death. Yeah. You know, like I just don't know what to do and I want someone to just make the decision. I wasn't having big enough bleeds that it was really obvious, but I was still having bleeds. It was just a very confusing time yeah. and confusing even in the context of being, you know, a, a healthcare professional with a lot of um, exposure. Yeah, I was really, really confused and overwhelmed. Essentially, I got to the point where I was allowed to go home, but I needed to have someone with me all the time. And Mark was working full time. So my wonderful parents who had been looking after Rosie on my work days up until my day of leave and who I was hoping to give you know them a bit of a break before the <laughs> new baby arrived. They basically just became my companions and took turns um, you know, being with me all the time, essentially. And if they weren't with me, then I would hang out with my sister or sister-in-law or, yeah, my mother-in-law. And I couldn't go further away from the hospital than where we lived, 20 minutes away. So I couldn't go on, like, playdates by myself. I couldn't drive to the shops by myself without feeling like I was you know potentially at risk. Yeah, it's scary. I couldn't go anywhere with Rosie in the car by myself unless I was driving in the direction of the hospital like it 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 just was so mentally draining. Yeah. It was yeah. I just wanted that pregnancy to be done cuz I just felt like a ticking time bomb yeah. essentially.
1: And did you uh have the opportunity I know I know they want to leave Charlotte in there as long as possible. Yeah. But were you talking to your doctor about maybe can we schedule this cesarean
0: earlier? It's a funny thing in the public system. This is probably one of the downsides that I didn't have that direct dialogue with an obstetrician, whereas in the private I probably would have. Um, And I was grateful to be in the public system because essentially like if you have grade four placenta previa, the place where I birthed is the place to be like you. Yeah. You essentially need to be managed there anyway, but I didn't have like that consistent obstetrician that I was seeing. And the way it works in medical teams, usually seeing like a registrar when you come into hospital. So there was one guy who like, you know, became pretty familiar with because I was in and out so often. Um, But otherwise I was meeting different doctors and having to tell them my story every single time. So we were due, oh gosh, we were due like 7th of July, I think. And we figured, look, this baby's probably going to come sometime in June. And they started talking about 38 weeks And eventually they planned the caesarean for the 21st of June. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who knows us, that is my husband's birthday. And we got married on his birthday. (laughs) And it was our five-year wedding anniversary. So I was kind of like, I will be grateful to have a healthy baby. But if there's any (laughs) chance, could you just conveniently maybe make it 24 hours earlier or later? (laughs) And that was a Friday. So it would have been like sometime earlier in the week. um and eventually we got booked in for the 20th of June but we didn't make it
1: so how did Lottie's birth unfold
0: (laughs) so I was at home I hadn't been admitted in a while I was in the scenario of kind of like having company all the time and just taking it easy I had packed a hospital bag which I never got to do with Rosie Mm because she was she came a bit early Started doing like some meal prep, you know, kind of nesting a bit, which I also didn't get to experience with Rosie because we had no kitchen, so I could not meal prep. And it was just an average night. We were asleep. Rosie toddler woke up in the middle of the night you know crying Mark got up to settle her because that's what he had been doing I literally rolled over in bed and then just felt a massive gush and like had a big bleed in bed and it's kind of like when you have your period you know like sometimes you can feel a trickle and yeah. you know that there's not much blood and then sometimes you know you pass a clot and you know you need to go change your tampon on your pad yeah. it, I knew that it was a big gush of blood and it wasn't wee like it was was warm and it was a different area so like I knew that I had had this big bleed so then I'm calling out for Mark to say I've had a bleed call the ambulance Rosie's awake and screaming he's trying to settle her and come to me and then not like bring her into a traumatic you know room where mummy's upset and it's really bright then I'm calling my dad who we had already lined up as like if something happens we call you first and you come to our place to be with Rosie because mum and dad had been caring for her while I was at work like she super super bonded to them and we knew that she'd be comfortable overnight with them so we're like managing these phone calls and meanwhile I'm just like frozen in bed trying not to move because I don't know if I'm. it's going to make me bleed more. Mm. And Are you in pain? No. Okay. No, it's I'm not like in pain. Bleeding. Not in pain, just bleeding. And it's always painless, um, okay. the bleeds, thankfully. And so eventually the ambulance arrive and they come into our bedroom and they ask what's happening. I tell them – and, you know, throwing out all those keywords of, like, grateful, placenta, previa, I've been admitted, blah, 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 blah. Like yeah. – and – to my surprise, they ask if I can walk down, down the stairs out of our unit to the ambulance. And so I'm like making, you know, a nappy out of towels and waddling downstairs with them. They couldn't just carry you? No, I was surprised as well, but you know, whatever. Okay. Um, but I should say while I was lying there, I couldn't feel the baby move. So I was also projecting <laughs> for right or wrong. Oh gosh, I, I don't know if my baby's alive. And you know, obviously praying and crying out to God, but just feeling very, very helpless in that situation. And you can tell, looking at me right now, Ali, like yeah. it still brings up emotion. It's yeah, it's, right it's a while ago, but it's it's yeah, it was really terrifying. Got in the ambulance, Mark. I just you know, every single time I was admitted, I would just have to leave Mark to just deal with whatever I left behind with Rosie, like toddler who doesn't want to leave her mummy. I just had to kind of tag out and be like, <laughs> "I know, going to the hospital. You're going to be okay. I'll but see you to... there." Yeah, exactly. It's hard though. So when they're screaming it's, at you. It's and... super hard, yeah. and you you don't even get time to say anything to each other. It's that thing where you're like, "I love you, bye." Yeah. So yeah, while I was going to the hospital in the ambulance, my dad arrived at our place, and Mark was able to kind of you know, hand over Rosie and dad was able to kind of get her back to sleep and Mark got in the car and like rushed to the hospital. And as we bumped up the driveway in the ambulance, I felt the baby move. And that was like massive sigh of relief for me just to be like, thank you, Jesus. I needed that. It's going to be okay. You know, had the drip in my arm, had the ambos there, making like light jokey conversation, um, thinking okay, this is happening. Let's just, let's just get this baby out. I just want this to happen. It was 48 hours before our planned Caesar. And I was like, let's go, let's do this. Yeah. I'm not coming home now, you know, I mean like my undies and a singlet and I'm going to hospital and I'm having this baby. So yeah. Mixed feelings. So you get to the hospital. Yeah. What happens? Um, get to the hospital. You go up into the delivery suite. They hook you up to all the machines, do the ultrasound, see what's happening. Meanwhile, the bleeding had stopped. So it's all a bit of uh, – I think like I, – I don't quite know how to describe it, but it's all a bit of a um, – it's like a, almost like a mind game sometimes because it feels so urgent and scary at home. But then once I'm in hospital – It's like, oh, everything's really fine. Like, the baby's happy. I'm not bleeding anymore. Like, this could just be an average visit to a hospital. It didn't feel like anything urgent was happening, if that makes sense.
1: Is that because you know help is right there? Yeah. Like, if anything happens, they're prepared.
0: And I think because the bleeding had essentially stopped, I'd had my hemorrhage and it had stopped. The baby was fine. Neither of us were under threat. And then it was just a matter of figuring out what the plan was. So um, I'm really grateful that, so that was overnight. So in the morning, you know, the the morning shift comes on, um, the obstetrician who's booked to work that day comes in. She's got her list of caesareans. She came in and reviewed me and she was like, look, we could wait 24, 48 hours, but in that time you could have another major bleed. Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, that loss of blood could compromise your baby or could put you at risk. You know, there's no way for us to predict if you're going to bleed again at all. But if you do, if it's going to be small or catastrophic, she was like, I want to do this cesarean this morning. I want to put you first on my list and get this baby out. How do you feel? And we were like, Hallelujah, yes, yes get this baby out. Okay. Let's do this. I want this all to be over. So there was a massive sense of relief, you know, calling up family, being like, Okay, can you please? Thanks. You've had Rosie for the night. Can you just have her for the whole day now? And, yep. you know, everyone, this is happening. Um, and then, you know, we get scrubbed in for a cesarean, all very happy and feeling relieved. The cesarean itself, went like textbook it was all very straightforward lottie came out screaming which rosie never did which is great which is the best sound yeah Yeah, we didn't experience that with rosie um so yeah uh, blood sugar levels were okay blood sugar levels were fine I i yeah i produce a lot of milk so i'd expressed colostrum beforehand brought in those syringes gave the midwife permission just to feed her the colostrum even before you know i held her essentially yeah um she was just yeah healthy, resilient, beautiful baby girl. We found out. Yes. Um, so yeah, really ecstatic in that moment. Mm-hmm. It just felt like ah, oh, the sun has come out, but mm-hmm. from behind the clouds. This is it. This is this is what it was all about. Yeah. You know, it sucked, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's all in the past. Here's a baby. Let's start the real adventure. So you get all the lovely family photos. Yeah. And then an hour later, what happens? Yes. So um, with placenta previa. There's a couple of things that can happen postpartum as well. Um, During the caesarean, they can find out that the placenta has like adhesed or stuck to the wall of the uterus. It's called placenta accreta. And in that scenario, um, you know, there's a risk at the very worst that they might have to perform a hysterectomy or that as they take the placenta out, it kind of like shears and tears and you have a big bleed. At the time, I was under the impression that I didn't have placenta accreta. Um, so it was all like smooth and straightforward. But there's also the risk that you can have um, like a postpartum hemorrhage mm. or a bleed afterwards. And once again, I don't know, call it projecting or pessimism or gut instinct, but I kind of felt like I think I'm going to have a bleed. Maybe that was my way of coping. I was pretty optimistic too, but I was just like, look, I feel like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. My hormones have been raging Every th- single thing that's been hormonally related, the bleeds, the GD, I, it's just gone to like the nth extent every single time. Like if someone's going to have a bleed, I feel like it's going to be me because my hormones are really, really high. Um, anyway, so I have this beautiful feed with Charlotte, heaps of milk. Her has, like I said, she latched wonderfully. I can't feel my legs, can't move my legs because I've had the cesarean. Right. I send Mark down. Down the road to a cafe to get me like a coffee and an almond croissant because that was oh, yeah. my <laughs> give me the sugar <laughs> that was my food. I was like, I just want an almond croissant. Goodbye, gestational yeah, diabetes. Yeah, exactly. give me the <laughs> <shake>. <laughs> so I asked him to like lift up the sheets and check that I wasn't bleeding before he went. Mm. Um, and the nurses are checking on you regularly, so this is like um, you know it's not his responsibility, but just to kind of ease my mind. Mm. So he checks, not, no blood. Off he goes down the road. I'm feeding, and then within ten minutes, the nurse comes along to do her regular checks. She lifts up the covers and she kind of does the whole like, um, "I'm just going to get a doctor in here fairly quickly to come and have a look at you." Mm-hmm. You know, very calm voice, very reassuring. But I mean, I work there.
1: Yeah, you know what's going <laughs> I've on. I've done
0: that to people before, so I'm like, okay. And she's like, "You've had." a big bleed and we're going to get the doctors in so i'm like okay she you know lifts up and starts pressing my uterus because that's you're meant to massage the uterus to try and get it to contract to stop the bleeding like cpr for the uterus almost anyway within about 10 minutes i have 2.4 liters of blood loss um and at that stage it's like you know a medical emergency and you've got so many people rushing into the room. Mark comes back at that time with my um, um, my <laughs> croissant. Charlotte's happily sleeping in the little, you know, hospital bassinet beside and Mark essentially just gets handed – the baby and they whip me back into the emerg uh, into the theater which is you know 10 meters away I'm still just outside the theater I have to sign a form for a possible hysterectomy you know possibly going under general anesthetic basically do you give us permission to do whatever we need to do to stop the bleeding okay. yes let's go bye love you <laughs> take care of our baby I'll be fine um is that
1: really how you were feeling like did you well, feel like you're in safe hands or were you scared at this point or is it just such look, a blur like
0: I I think because it was my workplace naturally I feel very safe there okay. um I understand the system I have a lot of faith in um the system and my colleagues and everyone was acting very quickly you know, I knew that everything was happening the way it should. It wasn't like I was bleeding and I had a midwife freaking out in front of me. It was like everyone was acting professionally in the way that they should. Um, someone, I think, actually got bumped off the list and didn't even get to have their cesarean that day at all because I was whisked back in. You know, it was yeah, everything you. happened the way it should exactly. And also, I think up until that point, um, you know, God had taught me just to surrender. Like, what else could I do? I mm-hmm. couldn't fight it. The, everything that had happened was out of my control. Mm-hmm. It was, I didn't have gestational diabetes because I eat sugar <laughs> six times a day. You know, like, yeah. it's just what happens. It's a podcast, but I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you and, think we we'll uh, have di- yeah. diabetes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, no part of the all of these things that had happened during the pregnancy where because I had done something, mm. um, it was just... The way it happened so it was the same thing where I was like well uh, you know what can I do I just have to go with it but also I think because because of my occupation like when these moments of pressure arrive mm. I think there's probably a little bit of training that just makes me go adrenaline mode let's do this you know like I, I'm used to working under pressure I'm used to working when patients are deteriorating right in front of me I was like okay let's just get this done so I felt more for Mark because he hates medical things and he was just being handed our fresh babe and watching me being wheeled off and when I was talking to him about it last night he was saying um, you know he just felt like what else can I do I don't know what's going to happen just gotta hold this baby and keep my eyes focused on the child and not not think ahead mm. we would both have just broken down into complete messes if yeah. that had happened
1: so thankfully you avoid a history yes
0: so you know thank god for modern medicine mm. um they inserted this balloon kind of thing um which sits just above your cervix and basically put pressure on the uterus and stopped the bleeding mm and didn't have a hysterectomy didn't have any other kind of invasive intervention yeah that was kind of like the end of it um and then from there it was just recovery so um like i mentioned before they have to do almost like cpr to your uterus to stop the bleeding so i had like really extensive bruising because they had to do it right on top of where they had just cut through um And that's necessary and thank god I still couldn't feel it at the time because it was so soon after the cesarean I still had all of that um analgesia on board and anesthesia so it wasn't until like maybe 24 hours later that like that process of just pain begun um and yeah it was it was really really hard seen heaps of pain Mm. I know that other people who've had caesareans are probably in heaps of pain too. And I have no reference point. Um, if it was like worse than a normal caesarean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hoping so. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise that's awful. But yeah, I basically, it took me a really long time to physically recover. But at the same time, we had this beautiful baby girl. I had all the endorphins, and yeah. oxytocin rushing through. I was feeding, you know, the pregnancy was done. All of the scary stuff was done. We were kind of like looking ahead, just focusing on um, getting on with life as a family of four. And I was, I was stable essentially, you know, I was a bit rough, but I was medically stable and there was no reason to think that things wouldn't be fine from there. Yeah.
1: So you, get a blood transfusion you start to perk up a little bit yeah
0: got a blood transfusion on our wedding anniversary (laughs) how romantic (laughs) got uber eats via napoli and had amazing friends who took rosie for dinner so it was just mark charlotte and i Okay. (laughs) memorable
1: so they send you home yes how are you feeling because it's a big enough transition heading home with a second barb toddler at home but you're also feeling still very weary yeah very exhausted relieved yes but in a lot of pain yeah
0: look i'm pretty headstrong And as a physio, I kind of was a bit like, look, this is just a challenge. Like we're just, I'm going to physically recover from this. You know, I've gotten people out of bed after massive surgeries. Like I know my body can do this. I know it's strong and resilient. I'll be fine. But uh, we can't actually remember much of the first couple of weeks. Like I know for the first week it was really hard getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, And I needed like physical help to do that. And we just kind of like existed in our little unit And I can't remember who came and went, but I know that we had amazing support. We had family, we had friends, we had church doing a meal roster, all the aunts and uncles and grandparents, you know, coming in and -hmm. and helping out. Yeah, a bit of a spanner in the works is um, I had to, so we probably in hospital for five days and then came home and... A couple of days later, um, got really, really bad mastitis. Like Mm. the worst that I've ever had. I couldn't hold Charlotte. I remember walking to the GP and saying to Mark, you need to hold her because I feel like I'm going to faint and Mm. fall over. And I had tachycardia, which is where your heart races really, really fast. I was very high. So um, it took like six hours in ED for them to bring my heart rate down. Once that was brought down, I was okay, but I needed to be in hospital for another three days. So um, I just put that down to, I have oversupply of milk and also my body must've just been wrecked from that whole birth process that I just didn't have any resilience to fight that virus. Mm. Um, so after that- <laughs> Are we out of the woods yet? <laughs> I think after that, we were just in like general, you know, newborn land and I started to recover. Felt pretty weak and tired a lot of the time, but also, you know, you feel pretty ruined as a mum- even if you haven't had all of those things, like the newborn phase is really hard and you get tired. So um, I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll recover.
1: So in those first few days and weeks, lots of people come over all the time. Yeah. You know, as women, we just want to hear each other's birth stories. Was that something that you just had to hit pause on? And I'm going to process the emotions later because right now I'm dealing with the physical stuff or – was it all right there? Like, where was your head at in those mm. first few weeks?
0: I think it was a bit of both. I think it's kind of, you know, a bit of a grace of God that we had a toddler. So we just had to kind of get on with normal life mm. a bit, like try and keep things as even keeled as possible for Rosie. So there wasn't too much time to dwell on it. But also, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm doing this podcast, right? I'm a pretty open person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to assume. And so, yeah, it was helpful, like sharing that story with people. There were... There were a couple of friends who knew what was going on the whole time with the bleeds, and a lot of friends who knew, you know, a bit about what was going on. Um, I found it really mentally taxing kind of updating everyone all the time, every time I had a bleed, or, you know, with all of my feelings mm. antenatally, like before I had Charlotte. So um, there were a few people who had been like real emotional supports to me outside of family um who I could like debrief more within depth without having to like rehash everything that had happened to antenatally if that makes sense and that was super super helpful and I had lots of people praying for me and sending me encouragement yeah but I found it helpful to kind of tell the story but not all the time and we had great midwife follow-up as well they were monitoring us you know asking us how we were coping emotionally and one of the midwives a lovely christian one um she actually kind of like informally followed us up for about two months like oh. would give me a call every now and then just to see how we're going wow. see how mark was coping um see how yeah i was recovering which is really really helpful yeah. to have that emotional support
1: yeah because how's i mean hard for you to yeah. say for mark but you know, do you have an idea of how he
0: was coping through this? Yeah, I can't imagine yeah. seeing your wife wheeled yeah. off. He he says it. You know, the whole process was really traumatizing for him. Obviously, because for him, his experience was he'd be at a, at work during an average day, and all of a sudden, his wife would be rushing to hospital, and he'd have to leave work mid-lurch and come be with the laugher, You know an unknown number of days and nights by himself while still trying to come into hospital and bring her to visit and bring me stuff and mm. make sure I had all my gestational diabetes friendly, like foods that you know I couldn't get through the hospital, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, once Charlotte was born, I think for both of us, it was just a bit of a like, let's just forget all that for a while and focus on the good stuff because we really need to just give ourselves a mental break. Mm almost like pretend like that didn't happen and just enjoy what's in front of us um yeah
1: did you ever have any sort of post-traumatic experiences like anxiety attacks or flashbacks to the hospital or was it more in imagining future births that you felt a bit yeah. anxious? yeah
0: I wasn't aware of it at first. And like I said before, I think I'm a bit of a like, okay, just put my head down. Let's get on with this sort of person, especially under pressure. So, you know, I was going out for big long walks with both girls strapped into the double pram, you know, trying to do the best by my body to help me recover so that I could do the best by my kids. But it wasn't until maybe, I don't know, somewhere between three and six months later, once I was driving that I realized, and maybe once I'd had enough space to actually physically recover Mm. and not, yeah, be able to think outside of that physical recovery, which was my initial big goal. Um, I remember really clearly driving down Pacific Highway and an ambulance coming past me and hearing them behind, driving past and getting that fight or flight experience, like that adrenaline rush, my heart beating, Mm. getting sweaty, feeling a little bit shaky And thinking, oh, that was a bit weird. And then it happening a couple of times again. And then thinking, oh, I think I've got a bit of post-traumatic stress. Because, you know, I've seen a million ambulances in my time. I work in those situations where, you know, you hear sirens. You hear the chopper come in at work. You know, that sort of thing. And I've never really had that physical reaction. exactly. So, Yeah. I started realizing, oh, it's a bit of a trigger for me. I think maybe, like, I've got more of an emotional stress response to this whole thing that happened than I realized. Yeah. So I was like, maybe I just haven't given myself enough mental space to think through what happened and to kind of let myself sit in those feelings.
1: Yeah. So what do you do with all that? Like... I know (laughs) I know that you'd like to have more children. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Where do you
1: what do you do to get to that point where that dream could become a reality? Yeah.
0: Well, um I think I talked about it a little bit with different friends, um, and that was helpful. I actually, a big thing that I did was I listened to Australian Birthing Stories podcast. Oh, it's amazing, (laughs) isn't it? It's amazing. You would think maybe like not the wisest move, Kirsty, but it was really cathartic. Because it
1: would trigger something? Yeah. And
0: I did it really intentionally and like listened to podcast episodes that were similar to my experience Um, and it was really cathartic for me. It was almost like exposure therapy being able to listen to other women share their stories and hear it play through and not all happy stories, but you know, you can you can avoid the ones that might be too triggering. And yeah, like you said, we'd love to have another child, God willing. Um, we know that process is completely outside of our control except for like planning to try and conceive. Yeah. Um, so I, I basically got linked in with um, the perinatal mental health nurse. I actually did it through a colleague But obviously that's because I work there. But essentially the way it works is you can go to your GP and you can explain, you know, having these flashbacks or I'm having these feelings or I'm feeling anxious about trying again. And for me, it was not only I need to like think about my emotional psychological state before we try again, but also can I conceive again? Like, is this a safe thing? Is this just like a really stupid idea? And any OB would say like, Gosh no your body can't go through that again you'll die don't do it. So oh, so
1: even for you not just the survival of the baby.
0: Yeah exactly I was like I don't I don't want to like go for another baby right. in ignorance and then have someone tell me when I'm already pregnant oh you you know really high mortality risk for you as mm-hmm. the mother because of all these things that happened to you before. So I guess my mental state was like okay if we want to try again I need to seek some emotional, psychological support. And also I need to I need to speak with someone, have a bit of a debrief about that process, like the, the birth and the postpartum hemorrhage. And I just need to offload this mental burden and get a doctor to tell me whether it's safe to try again or not. So for me, I met with this nurse, went through, told her my story. She validated, yeah, that's actually really significant trauma. Um, you know, you're not exaggerating it in your mind it's legit Um, you're not playing victim by talking about it you don't just need to suck it up and say that's in the past move on Mm -hmm. Um, it's really important for future pregnancies to you know have a plan in place to be linked in with someone beforehand so that you know you've got that support before a crisis moment occurs you know in case future pregnancies we have previa again and we feel fine about it now but in that moment maybe it will trigger some emotions I don't know you can't predict that Um, and she referred me to get in touch with Gidget House, which is in North Sydney, and they're a specific um, network psychologists who um, deal mostly with women and men um, perinatally, so before and after birth, during pregnancy and beyond. Mm. So I'll link in with them at some point. There's a long waiting list and my plan is just to go and talk to someone about it feels funny because I feel fine about it mostly. Like obviously I'm doing this podcast. I feel pretty happy talking about things. Mm. I don't feel generally triggered in everyday life. I feel fine about the idea of having another baby, but it's just um, trying to do what I can to advocate for myself because I know that there's so much outside of my control. Yeah. If I can do this, you know, that's one positive step in self-care yeah. for me and my family.
1: For anyone who's listening, who's still feeling the impact of a traumatic pregnancy or birth, what would you say to them?
0: I would say it's legitimate and your feelings are valid. Um, It's, it's a weird mind game we play with ourselves where we think every birth has some degree of trauma, you know, like it's, even a straightforward, beautiful birth like I had with Rose, yeah, I still had tears. It's still traumatic to your body. There's still bleeding that happens. It's still a weird process, right? Like the miracle of life through pain. But be kind to yourself, take care of yourself, and advocate for yourself, because it's really important that we, we know that it's okay to feel overwhelmed by things that have happened to us. It's really common and there is help out there. I mean, we live we live in a society where we have amazing resources all around us. I think there's still a lot of stigma even within Christian circles of reaching out for psychological support, you know? It's it's not like prayer and psychological support are mutually exclusive. Yeah. You know, you can hold both in the one hand. Yeah. You don't just have to have faith and believe that everything's fine now. Like you can have a faith and believe that God's in control and that he will heal you physically or emotionally and receive professional support. Yeah. You know, those things go hand in hand and God has given us all different gifts. You know, like that body analogy, we're all different parts and we all work together in synergy. There's no harm in reaching out for support, but there could be harm in not doing that. And you never, you might not know the impact that that, traumatic experiences had for you until years down the track You might, you know, look back and wish that you had just talked to someone at the time. And also just to validate like no one else can parent your child. Like you can, you're, you know, two unique individuals. No one else had your experience. Mm. So there's no, rule by which we hold our experiences up to and say oh yeah that's legit trauma and that's not legit trauma trauma isn't objective necessarily like some aspects are but a lot of birth trauma is subjective and that's okay Mm. you don't have to share it with everyone like I am um you don't have to go see someone but also you can and don't be afraid of that it's really good um In case
1: anyone's listening and they're supporting a friend currently who's had a fairly traumatic birth or pregnancy, uh, what sort of practical support did you find really helpful from friends and family? And was there anything that was unhelpful and and triggering?
0: I think, like I said before, that idea of at least, sometimes with our best intentions, we can say like, at least you have a beautiful baby now and that's all in the past. Or, you know... At least you're in the right place at the right time or at least you know you're safe now and at home and you can get on with it and it's always well-intentioned but I think um sometimes just letting that person express their thoughts or their feelings like that idea of active listening just create space for your friend to talk if they want to mm don't pressure them to talk, of course, (laughs) like not everyone wants to share it. And in those early days, like I said, we just wanted to kind of get on with the good stuff and have a bit of a a mental break and just enjoy the good, good feelings, you know, but, um, just creating space at some point, depending on how close you are to that person, lots of practical support, take care of their older child, (laughs) come over and hang out with them, tell them about your life as well. As you know, I found that, really challenging especially antenatally when I was in and out of hospital I just got so tired of the drama of that pregnancy I was so sick and tired of having to say all these dramatic things that were happening in our life I just wanted to hear what was going on in other people's lives and sometimes people can kind of censor their lives because they don't want to burden you with their own thoughts or feelings and friends who were just like real and just kept on sharing their lives as they normally would. That was really refreshing. Yeah. It just took me out of my own brain and made me feel useful. Not like I was someone who just was like a passive the sitting victim. duck. Yeah. yeah, a victim exactly. It made me feel like I was still an equal partner in my relationships around me.
1: After, you know, a full-on miscarriage, yeah. a very rugged pregnancy oh, gosh. yeah, and a traumatic birth. How has your faith impacted it all or how has all of that impacted your faith?
0: Yeah, I think it helped me to trust God more, partly because I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing, I had nothing, nothing to give, nothing that I could do. And also, I think really importantly, like we both see our kids as God's children, you know, because yes we wanted to have kids and yes we amazingly managed to conceive quickly three times and yes we have two beautiful healthy children but by the grace of god go i you know that's not our doing Mm. um that's not a reward in the same way that it's not a punishment if those things don't happen but it, yeah, strengthen the idea that, you know, these are God's children and we are so grateful to parent them. Doesn't mean it's easy. Gosh, it's really yeah. hard. <laughs> I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not this gracious with my children most of the time. But yeah, it's helpful to see them through that lens that, you know, they are God's gifts to us and God will give and he will take away. And there's nothing I can do to predict their futures. I can only work with what God's given me, and yeah, I can only yeah be a good steward of the gifts that God's given me right now. Um, I can't control their futures. I can't control their future safety. I don't know what life will look like for them. So just gotta live with what we've been given now. Yeah, just trust God to be God.
1: Well, Kirsty, I'm so grateful that, yeah, God kept you and Lottie safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. My goodness, you make cute babies. And it's so <laughs> nice seeing Lottie at the pool yesterday. <laughs> they are
0: very cute. It helps.
1: <laughs> uh, you've, been a th- you've been through a lot and I really hope that if you and Mark decide to have more children that it would be a little bit easier <laughs> this time around. Uh, but I'm so grateful for you sharing your story. Thank and, you. Um, yeah, it's important that we share and affirm the pain that a traumatic birth can cause and hear the stories of hope as well. I would never tell anyone how to grieve or mourn. It's such a personal experience, but I do know that healing happens when we bring things into the light. So if you're listening to this episode and thinking, oh, this really resonates, it's bringing up a lot of emotion, and I'm not too sure about all that, I just want to encourage you to share it with your husband, a good friend, an older woman at church, someone who can listen while you make sense of your feelings, or someone who might be able to offer another perspective to the situation. If you're processing through a disappointing birth story to whatever degree, like you said, Kirstie, even if it's small and you feel like, oh, this is silly, I shouldn't be worried about this or whatever, it's okay. It's not at all silly. Maybe you know that you're not coping. You've tried things to process, but it's not working. Or you thought that you would dealt with it all, but you're still struggling. That might be a sign that you need more professional help. I just wanna encourage you to chat to your GP or if that's a really difficult step for you, as Kirstie said, you can head to the gidgetfoundation.org.au website and they've got some really helpful resources in dealing with perinatal depression or anxiety. It Doesn't matter how our babies enter this world. I always say this, and of course, one pregnancy or labor, it doesn't define your next. However things unfold in delivering your bubba, it certainly has no bearing on the kind of mother you'll be. I hope this conversation was helpful and insightful. I just want to say thank you so much for listening and to Kirsty for sharing your story. Until next time. Bye. Bye.